0: Welcome to the Tally Room Podcast. I'm Ben Rowey. In today's episode, we'll be looking back over the results of last weekend's Aston by-election. My guest today is Peter Brent. Peter is an election watcher and writer for Inside Story. Hello, Peter. G'day, Ben. The Aston by-election was triggered by the resignation of former Federal Minister Alan Tudge and was held last Saturday. The Liberal Party went into the by-election defending a 2.8% margin, which was down from the margin of about 10% that Tudge had held prior to the 2022 election. As I'm sure everyone has now heard, Labor gained the seat with a two-party preferred swing of 6.4%. And everyone's favourite stat of the week, this is the first time a federal government has won a seat off the opposition at a by-election in over 100 years. Peter, what do you think are the implications of this by-election result?
1: Uh, the, the safest arena for, for the implications to talk about is the Liberal leadership, um, because Trying to divine implications about the electorate itself is a bit of a mugs game. Um, We don't really know what the by-election signifies in terms of what Aston voters were thinking, let alone what the greater Australian electorate was thinking. Uh, We can have a guess at at that. But uh, obviously, the big takeout is Peter Dutton and his leadership and the pressure he's now under. He was probably always under some pressure as... An opposition leader who's trailing in the polls and recording very low approval ratings and facing a very popular or I don't know whether popular is the right word but a very a prime minister who scores high personal ratings and very high uh, preferred prime minister and high two-party preferred voting intentions. The opposition leader is generally somewhat under the pump in a um you know background sort of uh low pressure ongoing way but this really ramps up the pressure and um you know Will Peter Dutton last to the end of this term I, I think it was always a bit unlikely and now it's even more unlikely
0: you've written a little bit about people sometimes look at these as Uh, by-elections as like mini-polls that tell us something about the electorate or where we're going, but they're not, right? Like people voting in this by-election knew that they weren't going to change the government by voting Um, and they also, it's not a representative sample of the country, you know, like sometimes one seat might be going a particular way that doesn't really reflect what the rest of the country is going.
1: Exactly, and I think the first one, the first point you make is is the stronger one. It's not about who will govern, so... It's still the case that the, a big majority of people are voting about, at, at general elections, are voting about who they want to see as government uh, wake up to on Sunday. At a by election, that's obviously not the case, and so people are free to vote for all sorts of things. And I suppose what we, given that by elections usually produce swings against governments, we can maybe divine that there wasn't much of a inclination to give Anthony Albanese a reminder of who's boss, which is often a a strong feeling in in by-elections. This came as a total surprise to me, so (laughs) I I generally uh, don't have a high opinion of people who, uh, when a result turns out totally different to what they expected, then immediately listing all the reasons for this result. So that's why I'm being tentative about these quote-unquote reasons. But um, obviously we, we can't escape from the problems with the Victorian Liberal Party. As someone, I forget who it was, someone has written that they, they wander around the state um, like aliens who have just landed on this place they don't have no, no idea about. They seem caught up in their culture wars and so on. And COVID didn't help, by the way.
0: It feels like you can kind of define what we know about why this result happened almost in the negative. Uh, we can say that it doesn't seem like the voters wanted to give the Albanese government a kicking. When they could have, it would have been a free opportunity to give a big swing to the opposition, and they didn't. I mean, not that the voters are a single mind, but the kinds of people who swing. Um, but, yeah, the Victorians, I mean, just to, just to sum up a little bit about what's been happening, they obviously they had a terrible election result Uh, in November Uh, they particularly did badly in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne it was one of these ones where they actually gained a swing towards them statewide but the swing all happened in other parts of the state and all the typical marginal seats not maybe not quite Aston but not that far away from Aston stayed with Labor and my understanding is this would have been a marginal Labor seat at a state election um, Aston Um, and then we obviously had the federal election where the Liberal Party I mean we've some of the analysis has sort of defined what is Melbourne quite narrowly in a way that cuts out a bunch of Liberal seats that are on the outer fringe of Melbourne to say, oh, Liberals now only hold two seats in Melbourne. I think it's probably more like five, to be fair. But um, generally, like, there was this contiguous block of seven seats, uh, maybe eight, including Casey, stretching all the way through to Goldstein. And now those seven seats have been reduced to two. Um, And so... Clearly they've been having these problems. Clearly they haven't, I, I guess maybe you could say that the problems haven't gone away, to, to be conservative, to not um, overstate our case. But whatever's been difficult for the Liberal Party at federal and state level, um, they haven't solved it. You know, they, 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 they haven't given us any indication that they're on the way back.
1: I agree with all that, and particularly in Victoria. I suppose we do need to differentiate between teal seats that they've lost and others like this. In those teal seats, I'm quite sure, I haven't checked recently, the two-party preferred versus Labour is still Liberal, I think, in, in um, Goldstein, Kuyong. Um, the teals are largely a product for Scott Morrison. They're a the product of a, a sitting Prime Minister who, who vote, a lot of voters hated, but a lot of them Liberal voters, and they couldn't quite come at voting Labour, so they vote for someone else. They also lost um, Higgins to Labor, which was pretty amazing. And now we have this by-election swing. It's interesting to contemplate what happens at Aston at the next general election. Usually, seats tend to, if they've swung big at a a by-election, Aston is often mentioned as the seat that, in 2001, signified the return of John Howard's coalition government to competitiveness. The earlier election, Ryan, which pointed to them being in diabolical trouble, that's how it was interpreted, and and it was consistent with the general national polls at the time. That's in Queensland. Labor won that seat with a 10% swing or so, and then it was returned to the fold at the next general election. So it's it's not as if they swing at a by-election and then they stay in that position forever. They tend to swing back. The difference here is that there'll be a Labor sitting member who will have a new personal vote. And that'll that'll certainly make it more likely to be a Labor win at the next general election than if it had been won by the Liberal.
0: Yeah, and she's got quite a lot of time, right? Like the election was less than a year ago. So if, if we go full term, she's got probably two years in office, uh, which is a bit different to sometimes by elections that happen quite late in the term. You know, maybe we are seeing some long-term trends happening in eastern Melbourne, but I think we, we're a long way away from saying Aston's not like a natural Liberal seat anymore, I think Liberals would have a good chance of regaining it at the next federal election.
1: I think Labor will probably regain it. But then, you know, I've been wrong about Aston before, like two days ago. It's been redistributed towards Labor by a few percent in the last decade or so. If you look at 2010, when Tudge took over the seat, um, Chris Pierce retired If you adjust for the redistribution since then, which is a very, very rough way of doing it, then Labor wins in 2010, just.
0: Yeah, I have my own estimates where I've calculated margins back to 2004 based on the 2022 boundaries and Aston in 2010 is 50.0%. It's a tie. Right. It's a seat that, you're right, has been redistributed to be slightly more favourable to Labor um, but in reality was 51.8% at that election, and then the actual redistribution at the time made it 50.7%. The further redistribution since then have maybe made it a tiny bit more favourable to Labor, but it did get close to 50-50 in 2010.
1: Mind you, 2010 was Labor's best Victorian two-party preferred vote, in a, um, you know, maybe the second biggest on record or something like that. uh, Even though it was a pretty disastrous result for Labor nationally, they did well in Victoria and South Australia, two Julia Gillard uh, states, the two states that uh, quite liked having a local person as Prime Minister, evidently.
0: One other angle that's been talked about with Aston is the Chinese community. Um, I think it's a little bit overstated. I think there's an area in eastern Melbourne that has a large Chinese community, Menzies, Deacon, Chisholm. Aston is kind of on the edge of that area. So it's still substantial, but it's not as dominant a factor. Labor did particularly well in the federal election in Seats that had a large Chinese population, they gained Reed and Benalong in Sydney, they gained Chisholm and they probably saved them in Parramatta. That's definitely been part of the story. I think it's probably overblown a little bit, but uh, there's been talk about Dan Andrews' trip to China, where he is right now, and the way the Liberal Party responded to that as possibly being a bit counterproductive for them in Aston.
1: As you say, it's easy to overblow these things. Another thing that needs to be taken into account is, and this just, is just anecdotally, well, it's not anecdotally. I've been told this. I haven't looked at the data myself. That in 2019, Labor did particularly badly amongst Chinese communities, and the anecdotal parties that that uh, at meetings and so on, Chinese Australians, to generalise, didn't like Labor's, retiree tax and franking credits, and you know all this, you know, punishing financial success and so on. So a swing amongst that group in 2022 was partly a correction for that. Yes, if you're a Chinese-Australian who thinks that the Morrison government's tub-thumping on China was OTT, um, then Peter Dutton's leader is hardly going to placate that feeling because Morrison was trying to outdo Peter Dutton at the time, is, is um, my recollection of it. Dutton was out there warning of war and Morrison thought he'd better do it too. And uh, so, so Peter Dutton certainly represents that kind of uh, aggressiveness. I mean, he has a history of playing, you know, for want of a better word, racially tinged uh, politics. Whether Chinese Australians particularly care about a politician who says nasty things about African Australians is an open question. But but Dutton has that history in a general sense.
0: Maybe it has an effect on some people, but probably not as much as when the issue is more directly targeted at China. Um, now we've got, Chatter after this by election about an upcoming by election in Cook, where Mr Morrison. There's talk about him quitting politics. He doesn't show hasn't shown a lot of interest in sticking around. Um, there's been a little bit of overexcited chatter about a by election in Cook. I think that would probably stay with the Liberal Party. I can't imagine Labor wanting to put a big effort into Cook. Um, although they did they did do surprisingly well in Miranda at the federal election and they won the seat of Heathcote, but. Um, I think probably we're not going to see an Aston-like result if there was a Cook by-election.
1: Probably not. But again, I thought probably not Aston, but Cook is the sort of seat that even if they won at a by-election, it would go back to Liberal at the next time. So, is there really any point contesting it?
0: I guess if they did win Cook, it would just be it would be a symbol of the Liberal Party's voter base going. We're not happy. It would really be a wake-up call, but I don't think that will happen.
1: I mean, if you're if you're the Labor Party, you know, being rational about this, then you'd rather not um, highlight these things and just let them sit there until the next election. If, if you know, rather than than um, producing headlines that you know, if you think to Peter Dutton's a, a really dud leader, then you want him to stay there until the next election. So why why do things that highlight it?
0: Whereas Aston, like, they've now gained a seat. You know, it's an extra seat that's helpful to them. They could retain it. Like, they've probably got a better chance of winning Aston next election now than they would have if they if they hadn't contested the by-election, I, I would say. Um, and interestingly, one stat I noticed was this is now the biggest majority we've had in the House of Representatives since the 2016 election. 2016, 2019, 2022 all produced 76 or 77 seats for the governing party. Um, now we're at seventy-eight, so it's the it's the biggest biggest political majority since Abbott won in a landslide, well, small landslide in twenty thirteen, um, which is remarkable that we've had these really consistent tiny majorities again and again.
1: Well, we've we've got a swelling crossbench, so that's part of the equation.
0: What do you think this says about the referendum on The Voice? Peter, you and I have already talked about uh, having you on as a guest at some point when we talk about the referendum later in the year, but are there any implications from this by-election for The Voice?
1: Someone asked me that on Twitter. I mean, I've generally been fairly pessimistic about The Voice's chances, but when things like this happen, in terms of my anticipation of The Voice's, the voice outcome it ratchets up the positivity a little bit. If for nothing else, then the fact that the opposition is obviously not going to support it, the influence that'll have it on the electorate, you know, you've got to dial that down a bit after a result like this. I'm a bit sceptical of this idea that Australia is becoming progressive over the last few years, but maybe a touch of it. I'll buy that a little bit, a touch more.
0: I think there's two ways in which it could affect the referendum, but I'm not confident about either of them. Does this by-election result in the Liberal Party changing its attitude towards the voice? I think it's possible the Liberal Party could go into the voice going, we are able to kill this referendum, we're able to defeat it, but doing so positions us in such a way that maybe hurts us with particular voting demographics we're going to need at the next election, if we're seen as too conservative or that kind of thing. And I think it is possible that they might either, maybe not change their position, but like express their opposition differently, be take more of a neutral position rather than active opposition. I think that is possible that this kind of thing might scare them into going, we're going to step back a bit. The other thing is, though, that I would also mention is we talk a lot about, well, no referendum ever succeeds without a bipartisan support. Um, and, you know, Labor oppositions are far more likely to give that support than a coalition opposition but i would also say we don't have a big sample size right there just aren't that many cases of this happening and we clearly do have a government right now that is doing very well electorally and i think they are working really uphill with the voice i think there's a good chance it fails and i don't think people should fool themselves into thinking that it's definitely going to pass and you know uh counting their chickens before they've hatched but i look at the support for the government and the position of the opposition and i say there's not a big sample size but i wouldn't rule it out it's kind of where i'm at with the idea that they could succeed even if the opposition is in opposition to this
1: yeah i I agree with that also partisanship ain't what it used to be so the percentage of people that are uh, wedded to one party or the other is like in the low low 30s so If everyone, in theory, were to just follow the lead of the party they like, you add together Labor's support and the Greens and a few of the others, and then you're over 50%.
0: The other thing as well about The Voice, actually, which is not particularly to do with the by-election, but a lot of these referendums that fail, it gets into a big state versus little state conflict around the power of the federal government. And it's not really a factor with The Voice. Like, I don't think there's... I think probably uh, Tasmania is an interesting one to watch just because their votes are worth so much in a referendum context because every state's vote is effectively worth the same for the double majority criteria. But there's not a particular reason to think the hardest states are going to be the smallest ones because it's it's not really about creating an institution that's going to, you know, we're not taking powers from the states and giving it to the federals. We're not breaking the nexus that would, you know, there's a lot of examples of these referendums that have failed that have founded on that ground of like the big states wanting to modify the federal bargain in a way that benefits them, and then the small states aren't bringing it down. And I, I don't think that really applies in this context.
1: Well, yes, that's true, except it can just be about the vibe of power to Canberra. If you look back at 1988, were, were any of them specifically, uh, that, that they portrayed the, the usual pattern of I wish I had them in front of me, but I'm sure Queens, well, not Queens, uh, special Queensland actually was quite supportive because one of those referendums uh, was about democratic elections, and they uh, particularly applied to them. But uh, I think that the WA and Tasmania were the least uh, supportive of those referendums, even though you can't really, apart from a general power to Canberra thing, you can't really cast it in terms of big states bullying little states. So I think that can have with the vibe, but because this is specifically about Indigenous Australians, Queensland and WA have relatively high populations of them and also tend to be conservative. <laughs> I mean, how can I put it? Uh, people there maybe have more conservative views about Indigenous Australians, unless they're Indigenous themselves, that's historically been the case. Tasmania not so much so so I mean I' it'll be fascinating to to watch the state by state uh results
0: yeah I, I realize one of the things is it's been a long time since we've had a referendum that's even come close because those 88 referendums which I don't remember I was two at the time I don't remember them it's been like apart from the republic and the preamble like there's a there's a lot of people like me who are in our late 30s who have never had, had a chance to vote in a referendum. It's been a long time. It's been a long time since it's been a close one. I just went back and looked at the 84 referendum on aligning the terms of the House and the Senate, got a majority in the national vote and only got a majority in the two biggest states and and failed. Um, but that's that's it. Like a lot of the other ones since then, those 88 referendums lost badly and they lost in every state. Um yeah. So, so it didn't really get close enough to really go, where did it get lost? I would say though, I agree. Um, Hopefully as we get close to the election, we'll get a little bit better polling data that will give us a better sense of the states because I do suspect Queensland and Western Australia are the two that are the most vulnerable. And maybe you go Western Australia, you don't worry about as much and you just give up on. But Queensland is a big enough state that even if you don't think you're going to get a majority in Queensland, you want to run down the margin a bit because it's going to have it's big enough to have an impact on the national margin as well um yeah anyway we will discuss the referendum later i'm, I'm sure i'm not sure whether we'll have you on the a pre-referendum episode or a post-referendum but we will definitely be doing a few episodes on that later in the year but i do wonder a little bit about whether um i think peter dutton has been trying a little bit to moderate his image moderate his style but it's both kind of not really in his nature, but it's also not really in the nature of his party, you know, to, at the moment, to present themselves in a, dif- in a different way. They're, the party is stacked pretty pretty full of a lot of very conservative people.
1: That's right. You hear from his colleagues when there are the various um, pieces on him, what, what do you call them? You know, there's long pieces about the, this particular politician, and people say, Oh, look he's really a nice guy actually. you know he's nothing like the, the public image but, but the, that, that public image has been something that he's built over the years deliberately and it's what got him to the to the leadership actually his time in immigration and, and, and then home affairs, very popular on sky after dark, a very tiny proportion of the Australian population, but a large proportion of the liberal base. And, uh, so that got him to the leadership. And then it's almost like it's not fair that people see Dutton as a nasty person, but, but that's, but that's, that sort of tough politics is, is really what built by himself consciously. He's built that image for himself. I'll just make one more point about, about Aston. That reminds me, there's been a fair bit of complaining by the liberals of, of, uh, Labour running a negative campaign. Um, which was interesting. I mean, I hadn't been following. I I hadn't know what what the campaigns were like. But if it's true that the Liberals thought that they would run a positive one, then that's interesting. You know, I guess that means that they thought that Albanese is rather Teflon-like. I mean, I would have thought you'd run a campaign against uh, the super changes, for example. The Coalition and News Corp have come up with this one in 10 Australians will be impacted by it, in brackets, in 30 years' time. They made a choice to not be negative, so they say. Uh, I mean, we know that the 2019 general election campaign was a very successful negative campaign by the coalition, so they can't really complain about these things. But I I found that interesting. It was a common theme from liberal talking heads that Labor ran a negative campaign.
0: So that's about it for this episode of the Tally Room Podcast. Thank you, Peter, for joining me.
1: Thank you, Ben, for having me.
0: You can find this podcast on your podcast app of choice. If you like the show, please consider rating or reviewing us on iTunes. You can follow The Tally Room on Mastodon at tallyroomandmastodon.au or like us on Facebook. This podcast is made possible thanks to the generous support of our donors on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com slash tallyroom. Information about this podcast is available at tallyroom.com.au and you can email questions or feedback to thetallyroom at gmail.com. Thanks to Christopher for writing the music here in this episode. Once again, thanks for listening.